What is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to an off-season edition of This Week in Baseball, most likely a This Month in Baseball, perhaps a presented by Diamond Digest. I'm your host, Jordan Lazowski. We've got a great crew on with you tonight. Christian Lloyd, J-Roy, Jonathan Roy, and, well, I did say great crew, and then Scott Bentley. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Awesome. Doing all right, Laz. Doing all right. I, I I always forget how good our intro video is, man. I know it's pretty Peyton solid. Did a great it's, job it's with that. Slaps. Yeah, incredible. It's pretty good. So Peyton, as always, has done a good job with that, and I don't know. I think we'll have to get one for Diego next season because he hosted just as many of these as I did. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't like the shock value of host in you like you in a suit and then <laughs> Diego like with his beard and hat. It's like, oh. <laughs> a stark contrast would be cool. Jordan, have you ever uh, busted out a suit for a socks math video? Have I? No, I don't think so. No. It's that a is, good idea. A good I idea. was going to say that's that would be the next round of territory. So mm-hmm. packing up early on. So a- add on to it later, but otherwise we got some uh, great content for you. We got some off-season talk in, in terms of some of the signings that have gone on. Some, not many, but I mean, we'll probably get into this, but more than probably expected, especially even on the rumor front as well. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the awards. Um, we're going to let Jay Roy have his love fest with Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. and then we're going to move quickly on from that point. We're going to talk about the market in general a little bit. And uh, from there, honestly, we're going to see where it goes throughout the night because uh, we're just here to talk baseball with you and catch you up and uh, see where we might be going. As the lockout looms, you'll be listening to this November 22nd. So what is it, about nine, ten days away or so on December 1st would be the last day of proposed baseball under the current collective bargaining agreement. Rob Manfred recently said, quote, an offseason lockout that moves the process forward is different than a labor dispute that cost games. So guess what? Don't get any uh don't get any high hopes for December first. From the uh, MLB side, it, it appears as if this is going to be a lockout situation. But because of that, we've seen the market move a little bit, which is nice, and we'll get to it. But we want to get to the awards first. We'll talk about the three main ones. The um. NL MVP, or excuse me, the MVP for both the AL and the NL, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year awards. So in the NL, I guess we'll start and just get it out of the way. NL MVP, Bryce Harper beats Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. among the top three candidates. Go ahead, Jay, where I give your thoughts. Yeah, so this is this is a big deal. This is a big deal, okay, because – Bryce is in in territory now. Not a lot of other people are. Think okay. Think about in the last twenty years, who who has won multiple MVPs? Okay, like okay, Bonds has. Okay, A Rod has. Sure, Pujols has. Uh, and Trout, right? I think those Miguel are the only Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera. Thank you. Well, if we want to, yeah, if we want to count deserved him, sure. MVPs. But... Yeah, we want to, yeah. Okay. Never, we never, never thought of it. Yeah, if we're talking about deserve, okay, yeah. So, so that's a that's those are all what first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, Bryce is in crazy, crazy territory. Won a very well deserved MVP. Put up nearly seven WAR in 140 games. Uh, led the league in WRC plus, and OPS, and slugging. Uh, just a, a monster season from him. I think that I'm really glad the 
the way people view Bryce is going to shift a lot. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to Bryce getting overrated again. Like I, I'm forward to it, you know, like I'm all the, all the Bryce propaganda is going to get put through by like, and stuff. And I'm going to be so here for it. Cause we haven't seen this in, in a while. You know, people are, people are starting to come back around on him. And I think it'll start to get annoying again. Like it did back in like 2016 when he went unanimous uh, in 2015. But uh, this is, this is great. I'm so happy. I've been predicting a Bryce MVP season for, you know, like what the, this is like what the third season now, probably. Fourth. And, uh, you know, third time's yeah. a charm. Third time's a charm. It finally happened. Uh, I gotta be honest. I think he should probably be the favorite for it again next Next year, it'll be here, him and Soto right there at the top. And, uh, I I mean, Bryce is a fantastic player. I think that he's working his way back into that elite most tier. You know, they're as far as players in the National League go, like what it's – I mean, it's him, Soto, and Acuna. Like, I mean, who else – and I guess DeGrom if you want to count pitchers. And uh, I'm, I just, I'm just so excited for what this does for his legacy in a career sense. Like, you know, when, when we are talking 15 years from now about his – uh, Hall of Fame candidacy. Like I, I think he's really got a good shot of going in on the first ballot if he can string together a few more uh, quality seasons at the end of his career here. I mean, he's only he's what Bryce is twenty nine, right? Or twenty? Yeah, I think twenty nine. He's still so he's still so young. Uh, he could play ten more years. He could put up five WAR a season for the next eight, you know, or something. Who knows? Is there like I, any doubt that he? At this point, I mean, it would be really hard to think that he doesn't isn't just a shoe in for the hall at this point. Yeah, I would probably say that. I think I have his fangars put up right. It would he's take a, a heck of a collapse. Yeah, yeah. Like he's at twenty three point three f four right now. You'd have to think if he, man, I I mean, he's got at least eight years left playing wise. I mean, at least. That's it. If, he, if he's if he's even a four win player for the next five years, that's twenty more. He's up over sixty. It, it'd be hard, especially with the awards, especially with the the World Series ring the Phillies will have in a couple years here. <laughs> oh dear God! Uh, especially especially considering the fact that twenty fifteen is probably the greatest season of all time. Like you know, there's just wow. a lot. There's a lot. We have to <laughs> right here. You, okay, I, I had to just get that, out there. Get that <laughs> out there. This is this is my this is my moment. I'm gonna take it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm so happy for Bryce. Legitimately, I'm so happy. Do you get like a cut of any 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 money he gets from his award? Hey, <laughs> hey I, I can. Hey, I I might I might reach out to to his old agent and, and see what see, see what we can make. Might be worth a shot with that. <laughs> but I, I I do think at the end of the day he was the most worthy. I, I think it's something that you know given I I for as much for as much crap as I give you. Mm-hmm. The, the the whole idea that he has been not, not underrated, but undervalued, I prefer in, in terms of sort of the production he puts up to get recognized. And I think it's kind of a larger point in general, which honestly we'll probably get to more in um, some of the other awards. But it speaks to the larger point of you're starting to see a little bit of a shift in the methodology for how voters vote and what voters mm-hmm. value. It's not perfect. Um, but because of some of the other awards, I think we're seeing that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I and I'd say it's it's absolutely getting better. I still don't know if it's very consistent, giving mm-hmm. some of the uh, 
the results we saw, you know, uh, I think that, you know, whether it was like the Wheeler Burns race, which was super close, it, you know, we had some people valuing things more, some people valuing like the, the historically low FIP that Burns threw out there, whether it was, uh, you know, Brandon Crawford getting, you know, first, well, that, that's a separate issue, I guess. But it, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, Let's jump. I'll go ahead, Christian. Do you think Bryce Harper has lived up to the the sixteen year old status he was given? Uh, so yeah, this is. I I think so. I mean, I think if you win two, if you, you're you're a two time MVP, you're on track to be a first ballot Hall of Famer most likely, and you, uh, you. I mean. I think after 2015, people would have definitely said yes. He won the Rookie of the Year. I remember he he uh, that was 2012. I think his rookie season was. Yeah, he, he's him. done pretty much everything he has to. It's I think that uh, one of the it's always going to feel like a little bit underwhelming, no matter what you do. Honestly, like if okay. you have that much hype coming coming into the league, I think I know that's something that we've talked about a lot the last like 10 years, basically with LeBron, like just the way people talked about him, like. Uh, but, you know, obviously Bryce has not had the same career that LeBron has, but still I think that I don't know how you can look at what he's accomplished and be like, yeah, like this was like an underperformance for his career. Like he has a career 142 W plus. Like that's that's unreal production, you know. I think that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, over 40 F4 through like – and he's not even 30 yet. I – yeah, I I think he has. Yeah, I – with him and like Steven Strasburg, I would say he has definitely uh, fulfilled himself a lot more. Whereas Strasburg, mm-hmm. it's underwhelming because of all the injuries. And Harper mm-hmm. was injured 16, 17, but he has been that top guy and he's won those awards. No, yeah, absolutely. I agree with the Strasburg thing. And the Strasburg thing's kind of sad because like if, if we assume a perfectly healthy Strasburg, he's he's having a better career than Bryce is for sure. Like, like Strasburg, I think Strasburg is a better what was on track to be a better pitcher. And I mean, I can go pull up Strasburg's numbers right now, but he like, he's still Strasburg's had a, a sneaky, really good career. You know, just absolutely. Because, it's just, it's just every time he gets going, then an injury happens. Yeah. He's absolutely. A couple of months and it's just, yeah. He's got a career three, two on ERA 36.6 career F4. Like, I mean, he, like he's still been a super productive pitcher. Uh, yeah. But no, I completely agree with you. The injuries have just completely derailed him. And, uh, but that's an interesting comparison, just because Strasburg was Bryce and Strasburg came like came up in the same way. They had the same hype, pretty much, mm-hmm. and uh, it's gone slightly differently, you know. Yeah, I think that's the danger always of hyping up players so much. And I actually, not to switch topics to a completely different team, but that's something I talked about recently with some of the White Sox and Yon Moncada, who has become one of the most. Mm-hmm polarizing baseball players among Sox fans. And it's the same kind of concept of, you know, this guy was considered the top prospect uh, from the the international league or the international Mm -hmm. leagues. And it was all, he's number one. He's this physical phenom specimen. And it's like, you know, what is that supposed to mean? Like, like, where do you, where do you draw the line of, you know, it's the player's fault for not reaching his potential versus it's, you know, the, the scouts fall for overselling these. Like, I, I, I don't, it's for someone like Harper and the amount of 
what's the word I'm looking for? For the amount of like hype that came around him, mm-hmm. for he could have had a career where it was like, let's just say 130 WRC plus instead of 142. Uh-huh. Like that's a really good career. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Hall of Fame, but we're at least having conversations about how good he is. And then you have people like that's where more of the overrated stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. why was it over? Like, if this is his talent, like that's a really good ball player. Like, mm-hmm. why are you getting mad at the player for not living up to expectations somebody else set for him? Like, that's yeah. not fair. That's never going to be fair. It's one thing to be a complete bust, and it and it just doesn't work out. It's another thing to be a really good ball player. Mm-hmm. And just not be what the scouts said you were going to be and still get blamed for it. So yeah. it's kind of along those same lines. It's very hard for us to sit here and say Harper lived up to it and for him still to have done it. Cause like mm-hmm. the amount of pressure on him to do that was astronomical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that Bryce is also a little bit unique in that when he was coming up, I think he had a rep. Like, I don't think he was super likable. Like I think he had a reputation. Yeah, yeah you like, remember that that his first that thing in the minors uh, when he bl- when he blew the kiss at the pitcher. Is that like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah? Mm. Hit the homer, blew the kiss. Then like, yeah. he like, um, yeah, yeah, blew the kiss around third, and then like a big like brawl break, and like everybody's like, oh, when he gets to the majors, like he's gonna yeah. be like put in check or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like obviously the whole Strickland thing when he was younger, like. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, yeah, like young young Bryce was a bull, man. Like, <laughs> like he was he, he was about it. No, I, a, I agree. I think that changes perception a little bit because, like, every like when Strasburg made his debut, that was like a national event, and like everyone wanted that dude to succeed. Like everyone wanted Strasburg yeah. to go out there and and you know strike out ten pirates. I think he made his debut against the pirates. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Every, Everyone wanted him to go out there and succeed. With Bryce, it was a little bit different. And, like, I remember uh, I remember that rookie of the year race really well, actually, because he was, like, he had a he had an okay rookie season. Like, it was fine. And, like, I remember thinking that Wade, Wade Miley should have won that award. Retroactively, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's the case at all. Like, I'm not sure if that, that the statistics would back that up. But I remember, like, I think, like, 12-year-old me thinking Wade Miley should have won the award. And uh, and Bryce won it. And, and I remember thinking, like, oh, Bryce wasn't even that good this year. Like, he was fine. But, like – uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's still, so like, I, I remember I wasn't like a Bryce Stan back then. I didn't hate him, but like, I, I wasn't a Bryce Stan. I think a lot of people back then were just kind of like, Hey, like, we'll see how it goes with this guy. Cause it, it's not completely unlike Machado, I think. Cause like, I like Machado has a lot of haters. I feel like, I mean, kind of the same way that Bryce does, but mm-hmm. I feel like he's deserved a little more. I mean, like, uh, hit. Bryce Harper's first at bat was against Cole Hamels, right? Where he got plunked immediately. Like that was the first thing off rip. Oh, okay. I remember that. I remember that. I yeah, maybe I don't remember if that was the first his was that his first plate appearance ever? I'm I'm almost positive that was his first ever plate appearance, and that was his welcome okay. to the show because no one liked him coming up. No one was rooting uh, for that kid. And he's he's proved everyone wrong in my eyes. And I love yeah. him for that. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's he's a polarizing player, and he remains one. But you can't argue with what he's put up, and I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. So, J. Roy, I'm glad you got your moment mm-hmm. in the spotlight. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Let's just shift the spotlight to somebody else on this podcast. AL MVP <clears throat> Shohei Otani beats out Vlad Guerrero and Marcus Semien amongst the top three. Christian. Obviously, you think he's deserving. Obviously, he is more than deserving. I'm going to pose it to you this way, though. 
because it's kind of, kind of goes with my personal opinion on this. What would what would Shohei Otani not have to do to not win this award or be in the top three every single season so long as he plays? Good question. Um, if he's playing at this rate right now, like if he replicates twenty twenty one, he deserves to be in the top three every year. And uh, people are like mad at that, but like no, that's it's genuinely he deserves to be up there if he replicates this season. I um, he set the bar so high for himself that anything lower might not get him top 10 MVP voting. Um, it's it's like one of the five most impressive seasons of all time. The first four being Barry Bonds and Shohei Otani right there. And uh, yeah, no, nah, he just, he, if he replicates this, he deserves to be there every single season. I, I can't imagine like why anyone would not want that. I mean, it's a 150 WRC plus and a 150 ERA plus. It's, 45 home runs, 26 stolen bases or something. It's, I mean, it's like, ridiculous. That's we want, like we've been watching it now. Like it, it doesn't, it's like, it doesn't get old. Like it's like just hearing like 150 on both ends for as far as like the plus category, right. the weighted like plus categories go on offense and pitching. And he's 50% above league average in both. Like that, that, that will it's never nice. get old to me. Like hearing that out loud will, will never be, the shock value of that will never go away. Yeah, Christian, you said so. Okay, so you said that uh, if he replicates this every year, he should be top three, and I completely agree with that. But that's that's pretty different from winning the award unanimously, though. You know, so like voter fatigue. Okay, voter fatigue yeah. is one thing. Um, I think if uh, if Mike Trout replicates his 2018 season or his 2012 season, in which he was much better than Miguel Cabrera, and his 2013 season, mm, in which he was much sure. better than Miguel Cabrera, I would have voted Mike Trout over Shohei Otani, um, just like statistically. It's uh, like 190 WRC plus, and he was worth 10 war. Otani was only worth um, 9.2 F4 or R war and 8.2 uh, F4. And so it wasn't like statistically, it wasn't that much more valuable than everyone else. Um, granted, I think war might undersell him just a little bit because it is just egregious how 150, 150, and he's being two players in one spot. It's, the value there is kind of a, being understated. But I, I don't think he is um, necessarily out of the reach of the elite players, but he's just an elite player. Mm-hmm. Is the is the value undersold there because of like how many pitching appearances he has versus like people who go out there and start thirty to thirty five a year? Like why why is why is that? I I don't know. Like I, I've always wondered like why is why is that war not like five wins higher? Like is it, like, is it like the positional adjustment at DH or something. Positional oh, adjustment too. at DH really yeah. did him a lot. Uh, I could see him going to the outfield a little bit more, but I'm not sure how much it would help him. Jay Roy loves positional adjustment. Uh, well, I, I <laughs> no, the, well, I love I love to talk about positional. <laughs> <laughs> Say, saying that I love positional adjustment is not quite accurate. <laughs> I uh, I just made a tweet today about positional adjustments. I was looking at a uh, Jared Walsh and Bo Bichette's stats, and uh, Jared Walsh had a 127 WRC plus and a plus one UZR and a negative one base running runs while the shit had a 122 WRC plus negative five UZR and six base running runs. Bo Bichette was worth 4.9 F4 this season and Jared Walsh is worth 2.7. Uh, <laughs> it's just such a stark difference and it is really egregious. And J Roy of all people has 
shifted my mind on this perspective. Oh yeah, I, I, I just think it's funny that like we you know we all love war and because like war is great and all, but like war is still so janky, man. Like I I really hope that like I hope really hope that like ten years from now we really fix some of like the the weird weird statistical like because christian i remember we were talking about this a few weeks ago you said that like korea and altuve had like really really similar wars even though korea was like way better defensively wasn't it i don't remember what it, what the exact convo there was but uh like altuve had been like mediocre at second and then you know mm-hmm. korea is korea and uh but they had really similar wars for some reason i don't know yeah. like i guess the second base positional wars adjustment is going crazy right now or I don't know. I don't know if it was uh, Correa necessarily, but yeah, Altuve's war in comparison to many other positions, like he would not be there. Um, I was just talking today because of Carlos Correa and Derek Jeter about defensive positioning. And uh, if you had Derek Jeter play all of his games at left field instead of shortstop and kept the same exact defensive run saved, he would be worth 20 less war. He would be a 50 war player in that career and still a great career, great hitter this and that uh still a hall of famer regardless but 20 less more if he just moved one position or if he just wasn't See, that's, that, that's why that's same, why like, same drs at that position though like same like defensive yeah, number same, just same defensive run saved, yeah. uh, just at a different position that's wild yeah, I'm mean, see that's what I've been saying. Like people don't want to hear it, but like man, like if you do Ryan Howard out there at shortstop, man, oh, man, just let it, just, man, we almost got through it. Just let him stand there, man. Just let him stand there and tell me he wouldn't be a 51 player. <laughs> tell me. Tell me he wouldn't be a 51 player. Bro, he has like what 14 career wars. <laughs> how, how, how is it how does it make any kind of sense that by virtue of play just by playing first base, you can be like a league average first baseman and your 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 defense your positional adjustment will bring your war down because yeah. for some reason no like like how how does that make sense that you are helping your, let's say you're slightly above average at first you're helping your team because you're a slightly above league average first baseman and oh wow like your war is going to get a half of is going to go down because of the positional adjustment how does that make any sense like, how does that I, make any sense? Uh, I've gotten you there. It's when you start talking about Ryan Howard. <laughs> that I lose you. Uh, I've got you there. I agree. My biggest gripe is that um, I feel like bad defensive shortstops get boosted a little too much, and you're playing one of the most pivotal defensive positions. If you are bad at shortstop, you are hurting the entire infield. Yeah but your personal value is still going up regardless. I, that part doesn't sit right with me. It's the same with catchers and uh, center fielders, where sometimes like negative, 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 uh, defensive run saved, FRM, or UZR, and they're still just much more valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like a, there's a certain nuance there and like, a, in terms of like, like there's like a multiplier almost like if you're like a, sh- a shortstop, like it's more, it's more volatile, you know? Cause like, if you're really good, then you are such an asset to your team. But if you're really bad, like your, your entire infield defense is going to suffer from it. Your pitchers ERAs are going to look worse. Like your, your team is going to lose more games. Like it's crazy. I think it's uh but you know, like if, it, but at first base, like it, it's not at, it doesn't matter as much, and that's why the positional adjustments look the way they do. I just think they're way too stark. Like the difference is way too crazy. Like I think even between, what is the second best positional adjustment after short? Is it center or is it like I, third? I believe I believe I center. Yeah. Center. Okay. 
That makes sense. But yeah, I, I mean, like I mean, Chris and I had this conversation in the in the last off season about how like like positional adjustment is fine, and like I understand the premise of it, but if you are horrible at shortstop, you should get punished more, exactly. not like less for some reason. Like you should. Your your war should take more of a hit because you are being a bad at such a premier position, not oh you suck, but you're at a premier position, so you get let off the hook kind of a thing because that's a tougher position. Like it should it should be the opposite. If if you're great at it, that's fine. Add add all the you know you mm-hmm. you deserve that. If you have a twenty DRS defensive season or whatever like Correa had, like you deserve to, the extra like cushion in there for positional adjustments. But if you have a negative twenty. You should be hurt more because you did that at such an important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and okay, I think that's an important. Yeah, I think that's important in only with you. I think realizing <laughs> that is important in like like if we're talking about like MVP award you know, for like one season, I think that like kind of shows you like WAR might not be like the number one like metric we need to look at there. Like maybe OBP, maybe WRC plus, maybe that kind of stuff is like what we need to look at. I think over the course of a career it evens out a little bit more. But then even when you're thinking about something like what Christian said about Jeter being a 50-win player if he had played left, like how does that make any logical sense? Like how does that – like like it, it doesn't. Jeter actively hurt, hurt the Yankees like by being bad at short, sure. He, he helped them a lot by being a great offensive player, but – I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. It's almost like with with you know way to runs created plus. Like I use that stat all the time. We all do. But the like if weighted run created plus treats ro- all road parks as like neutral. Like that. Like that. That doesn't make any sense either. And you know if we had properly adjusted for that, it'd be hard to do. You know. But I think Prospectus does that with DRC plus, don't they? Right, yeah. yeah. And so if if WRC plus adjusted for that we might see things might look way different. Like those course players, like they might, their, their numbers might look way different. You know, we no telling who else's uh, offensive metrics would look way different. You know, it's just, I think it's funny that, you know, we love these stats so much and for good reason, but like there's still so much work to do in terms of like getting, getting them right. You know, and I, t- to be fair, the, the reason I asked that original Otani question is, is kind of along these lines, but also the fact that, you know, he's one player. You're basically using two roster spots, but only mm-hmm. having one player do it. So it's like that should be, in theory, like infinitely, infinitely more valuable than some of the players you can run out there. That's why it's my personal opinion that as long as he's putting up at least pretty solid numbers. Like you, you deserve to be top three every season. Are you going to win it every year? Probably not. But I, I mean, even when you factor, even as you guys are talking about some of the positional a- adjustment aspects to it, even stuff like that, it's like, he's still one guy f- filling two roster spots, but doing it as one player. Like that um, should be viewed as infinitely more valuable. Would you, uh, would you vote him for MVP if he put up a 135 WRC plus and a 135 ERA plus this season? I would. Or you would? I still would. I, I would have a hard time that as long as he's well above average on both sides of the ball, that there's nobody who's more valuable than that. Oh, uh, okay. Because, but then, you're, you're, because you're playing two positions as one player. 
Okay, but okay, but that is kind of a, a significant difference if we're saying he's fifteen percent worse at hitting and fifteen percent worse at pitching. But like he's still thirty five percent better yep. than everybody else on both sides of the ball. Would that outweigh like someone like let's say Vlad Jr. being seventy percent better at hitting than anyone else and being like I don't I don't know what Vlad's defensive numbers look like this year, but I think they're probably like They're're around the league average. Or maybe below. Okay. First like, base anyway. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I, I mean, I think that it would just – I would probably want to look at the war numbers there, see how his value would turn out. Like, I think uh, Otani was the no-brainer. I think also that – I think the novelty of Otani being – this is, like, his first, like, season in his full form, that matters. We want to say that that doesn't matter. But, like, in the like if we look at back at baseball historically, like, it would have been moronic for us to not give Otani the MVP this year, even if even if statistically you could make a case for someone else. Like, this was a landmark season in baseball history. And so uh, – but, like, if – so I can see the case if he had gone, like, 135, 135, like, still giving it to him, assuming he would have been, like, around a seven-and-a-half-ish win player – but like if if Otani goes out there and does 135 135 next year and we see a nine win Mike Trout season I'm not even thinking twice I'm voting for Trout like I don't you know mm-hmm. or if we see like a a Vlad Jr revenge tour and he goes 200 WRC plus or something like I'm voting for like you know like I I I love Otani and like I'm so glad he won this award it's great for the game but like I'm I'm not married to the idea of him being the MVP every year like I I think that, I'm pretty married to the idea that it should at least be an argument that he should be top three if he I, stays okay. at he, by virtue by virtue of him being this unicorn player yes he will be in the conversation every year he's healthy and that's yes, i am i'm pretty married to that idea okay yeah. that's perfectly reasonable but if he's not he's not automatically winning it every year like sure. he you know sure. he he might he might run off five straight seasons where he deserves it every year that could happen I, yeah, I, I think I might get a little annoyed with that, but like that could happen. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, until it's Bryce I'll, Harper I'll who does it. I know you will. I, I need I to see at least I one. I, I, listen, I want to see at least one Jerks, jerks and Pro Four MVP season before he <laughs> oh, comes out. So all right, it's the Cy Youngs, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cy Youngs. Um, I mean, looking at <laughs> looking at all the other awards themselves, I think. Both the NL Cy Young, I mean, let's look at it like this. NL Cy Young, Burns beats out Wheeler barely. Mm-hmm. Um, AL Cy Young, Robbie, Robbie Ray pretty much takes away with it. I, I don't think anyone had much debate there. Jonathan India takes it away as the NL Rookie of the Year. I think that was a little closer. I think Trevor uh, Robbie think we, got snubbed on think, that. Yeah, I think we ended up, as a page voting, Trevor Rogers. Yeah, I, I think um, that's one where, like, like, I mean, I voted Rodgers. I think he deserved to win. But at the same time, it, it wasn't some, like, all-time mm-hmm. – like, like, like I, I'm not losing sleep over, over India winning it. Like, that's yeah. – you know, it, it was it, close to, like, it. it's not yeah. some all-time robbery. Like, it, whatever. And with – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's not a Miggy over Trout type of thing. It, yeah. it was really close. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get through any award without it. <laughs> and then for the last one, the AI rookie there, Randy Rosarena, beats out Wander Franco and Luis Garcia. I think the, the three awards there that they're not necessarily, like you guys are saying, they're not necessarily snubs or all-time mm-hmm. like huge debates. 
but a Rosarena winning over Franco. Um, India winning over Rogers and Burns winning over Wheeler all kind of have the same underlying argument to it. And that's how much does being on the field for the length of time really matter? Because Franco only came up in June. Mm -hmm. Um, Trevor Rogers missed the entire month of August being on the bereavement list. And Corbin Burns pitched about 40 innings less than Wheeler did. So it, it it all three of these kind of underline that same argument of does being on the field matter? And, and in some cases, they said yes, it did. With a Rosarine over Franco and Indy over Rogers, they yes, it did. With Burns over Wheeler, they said, oh, well, maybe not really. I guess I'll start with the Cy Young and I'll Cy Young, and it'll kind of probably bleed over into these next two. Is just your thoughts on how how some of these more toss-up type um, campaigns ended up falling. Um, so I voted for Corbin Burns. Uh, he had the second lowest FIP in, since dead ball history. Like, since the dead ball period ended, he has the second lowest FIP behind Pedro Martinez. And uh, it, it's just egregious. That's hilarious, hysterical. 169 FIP is unheard of. And... Um, I think his over Wheeler, um, I'm okay with. I understand the arguments for Wheeler. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's been many, many debates on Twitter from this. And uh, if, if um, Zach Wheeler, uh, sorry, if Burns pitched to a 441 ERA for the next 40 innings, he would have matched Zach Wheeler's ERA. So does that, do those innings matter of a 441 ERA? Does that differentiate the two? Because I'm not sure if it does for me. With, uh, with Rogers and India, I'm, I'm not, like, too concerned about that one. And Franco, Rosarena, I was really surprised at the Rosarena winning, to be honest. Because um, the novelty of the postseason last year mm-hmm. and everything uh, in the regular season of last year, he was insane. Insane. And uh, personally, I didn't think he was, like, as good as he was. And 130, uh, 129 WRC plus is good, no doubt about it. Um, and I wasn't hearing nearly as much about him as you did last season. I did not see, like... They weren't promoting him like that rookie of the year or anything. So I was really shocked to see him winning. And uh, mm-hmm. Franco Franco broke the on-base record for rookies. Like, that, I, did, I, what, what was it? Do you know? Do you, um, or, what did he wanna, ha- or what did he have? I want to say it was somewhere in the 40s. His on-base percentage was... Wanda Franco's yeah. on-base percentage, 347. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the on-base streak of uh, games making Don base safely, uh, he tied Frank Robinson at 43 mm-hmm. games, which is just insane. I mean, for him to put up the numbers he did at the age of 20 through a couple months less than everybody else is phenomenal. And I, I'm mm-hmm. sure that this won't be the last time his name is up for a major award. Um, th- th- this will be a long time coming for him. And I think what you mentioned about um, the Burns-Wheeler, it's the exact crux of the argument for me. It's did 40 innings of a plus four ERA really make a difference that much in your minds to where Mm. some of the debate fell? I I don't, if, let's just say Wheeler pitched like a two, three ERA over those four, like, yeah, I'm I'm probably going to agree with you that it's more of a snub. But I I look at like the things that Jeff Passon wrote. 
And he was like, the, the greatest trick the nerds ever pulled was convincing people innings don't matter. Number one, nobody said that. It, it was the quality of the innings. Just quantity of innings, yeah. Quantity maybe doesn't matter as much. It's the quality of them as well. If you throw 40 extra innings and it's the same as throwing Dallas Keuchel out there, that's not, that's not necessarily great. But if, but if it's – You did say Keuchel, man. First name that came to It's I can't call it PTSD because I'm going to see it in 2022. But um, Who's going to tell him that Keuchel was worse than that? I know who he was. <laughs> First name that came to mind with a bad ERA, Scott, all right? Maybe I'll pick whatever, but my my point being, <laughs> my point being, like innings do matter. Like no one's ever said that. Like stop making arguments that people haven't made. Like, just stop. It's it's, it's, it's it's so aggravating. Like if, if something doesn't go how you wanted it to, the nerds screwed it up. If you like it, um, old school baseball overcame the nerds. Like mm-hmm. I hate it. I I really hate it. I'll yeah, stop talking. I'll, I'll I'll get everyone else's thoughts on. Yeah, this. I'll um. <laughs> So, you know, Zach Wheeler throws for my baseball team. And uh, they – like, Wheeler Wheeler was phenomenal this year. Wheeler was so good. I think that I kind of uh, – I was so emotionally invested in NL MVP that, like, all the other awards I was kind of just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like, here, yeah, here's, here are these other awards. But I I will say – so just based on, like, what I saw personally, I, I remember about – Two thirds ish of the way the way through the season, it, it felt like it was a three person race between Burns, Wheeler, and uh, and Scherzer. I'd say, uh, I and I, I think Wheeler was kind of number one at that point. Like I would have voted for Wheeler at that point. And then as the season kept as the season finished, Wheeler was like slightly worse. Like he his pitching dipped a little bit. I don't even know if that's statistically accurate. I just remember like seeing him going out there, like he had a few rough starts, you know, and uh, and Burns just kept being amazing, and Scherzer kept being really, really good too. So mentally in my head, I just assumed that I I thought Burns would run away with this award. I don't know. I did not think it would be nearly this close. I never would have guessed that Wheeler would have gotten as many first place votes as uh, as Burns did, and I think that's just because I didn't really look uh, enough into the numbers. I think it's super interesting. Uh, Burns led the led the league in F four, and obviously, I think that was not super surprising considering all F four cares about is FIP, and he had a historically low FIP. His uh, his are the computer finally said, <laughs> "I'm done hearing about Jay Roy talk about the Phillies." <laughs> Like a seven. What a great freeze. <laughs> Say it again. You just got frozen. You just so. got frozen at a perfect, at <laughs> no, a was perfect it? time. Okay. 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 I'll keep talking. Uh so so I mean, obviously, like, you know, that's the difference between R War and F War, RA9 and, and FIP. I just think it's interesting. I pref- like personally, I prefer pitchers or pl- just players in general that are better in whatever time period they play in than someone who's slightly worse over a longer time period. So I think like I would have slightly gone with Burns over Wheeler. I, but now this is the thing that's really interesting is if it is entirely possible that if the Philadelphia Phillies have a different manager, we are talking about a completely different race here 
Because if imagine if Kevin Cash was was coaching the Phillies and and Wheeler go, gets through five innings and he had throwing you know one run four hit ball and Cash is like all right like we're taking him out we gotta you know we'll ride with our our pen you know obviously the Phillies don't have a good bullpen that's part of the reason why Wheeler had to take on a little bit more of a workload than otherwise but that's a consideration too it's like okay Wheeler you know, got Wheeler got. Uh, Dragged out quite a few times. Exactly. No, he it happened. Got screwed quite it, a few it, times. It happened with Wheeler point. and it happened with Nola too. Like Nola's numbers look way worse this season than they possibly could, assuming the Phillies had, had a better bullpen and they had a more competent manager who would have been like, "Yeah, we're not going to run you out there the fourth time through the order in the eighth inning." You know, I it's that's a consideration. Wheeler's numbers. He would probably have less innings thrown, and that FIP would probably look better. That ERA would probably look better. He might have struck at, you know, like things would be, things would look very different. And I think that he probably would have won the award considering how close it was. It's a tough, I think that the thing that made me want it for Burns more than anything was the fact that he had historically low FIP. Like we were talking about like a ridiculously low FIP, like a, a crazy, and I don't even like FIP. Like I don't even really like FIP that much. But, <laughs> But, like, we're talking about, like, a season that's, like, never been replicated since, like, 2000 Pedro, something crazy like that. So, I, I think I, I was always going to vote for for Burns, number one. I'm kind of annoyed that uh, in our DD ballot, I voted for Scherzer at number two. I think if I if I could do that again, I'd probably put Wheeler there at number two. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think uh, Christian's point is, is the best for the – argument of of you know if, if someone goes out there and pitches 80 innings like that's a lot different than than you know what i mean like he still pitched uh what is considered to be a full season um mm-hmm. and uh yeah i i mean i think i think the the difference in those innings pitch numbers being that high of an era you're like okay like especially based on then you would use stats like FIP to tell you that he would not have posted that high of an ERA right. in the, that innings difference, or, or even relatively close to that. Um, so I that one that one didn't really I I that was a non-factor in my head. Like that that had had absolutely no effect. And I w- I was honestly to the point where when Passon started tweeting about it, I was surprised that like it had the response it did. I was gen I. I, that was not even something I considered. I, I did not even for a second be like, oh well, Wheeling has Wheeler has more innings, so like this, people are going to be mad or whatever. That that is something that was not even on my radar until after the award was announced and people started tweeting about it. I, I didn't even realize that it was a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like Wander then to the other extreme, right? Like he he played incredible, but. He did have far less games, so like that's a that's a that's a whole different debate. And I think if if you're talking about, I don't know, like I I go back and forth on it a lot. I I, I voted Randy. I I, I thought Randy should have won, but um, I I mean, like how many more games do you think Wander yeah. needed to play at the production he was matching? for that to, to get flipped to, to his award. You know what I mean? Like how, mm-hmm. what, what is, the like the, right, mm-hmm. exactly. What is the hypothetical cutoff of like, oh, that's not enough games versus, versus 
you know, like, oh, that that's plenty. Like, we know what you are kind of a thing. What what was the war breakdown between them? Like, what do, you, do we know what that – like, I don't know. 3.3 F4 to a Rosarin, 2.5 to Franco. Okay, okay. Yeah, Scott, one thing I'm reminded of is, like, obviously not it's not even the same sport, but, like, a few years ago when the NBA uh, Rookie of the Year race between Embiid and Bro- Malcolm Brogdon. Oh, yeah. that was a very yeah. similar – because, like, Embiid did not play a lot of games, but he was – fantastic he was clearly the best rookie like not even a close and then but Malcolm Brogdon played like 80 games or something mm-hmm. he was also really good and I remember feeling super strong with it it should be Embiid because part of the reason was because like I thought Embiid would be an all-time great player down the road and so like historically looking back we want like it would be better for the game if he had won this and I think that that I think I would probably invoke a little bit of that same thing for Wander like I think that if we had to guess who's going to have a better career, Wander or Randy, it, I think we'd probably all go with Wander. And so I think that you can kind of uh, – I, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a faulty criteria for thinking why you might want to retroactively retroactively vote for someone. I think it's the same reason why I think like in hindsight, Bryce Harper winning the Rookie of the Year over Wade Miley was a good call, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's – yeah, I don't know. That's just something I think about also. For sure. No, it's a great comp. Yeah, I, I I totally forgot that that happened, but um, but yeah, and, and then the with like that situation, then you have like um, you have players that in, in across all sports it happens, but uh, you know, it, Randy was up for half of a shortened season last year. You know what I mean, like. Mm. Like and and granted, if it was a full one sixty two and he was up for half, it might be a little different. But it's it's hard to kind of wrap your head around the fact that somebody can get rookie of the year votes two years in a row. Like that's yeah. like that's objectively kind of weird. And um, if if in my eyes, if your sample size is big enough to where this is your gonna be only rookie year, then we games played should probably be be null should probably not be a, a factor in the voting you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a good point no i think that's fair i know it, it, it is a larger discussion there um because like i said for some it mattered a little bit more and, and for some awards it didn't so but I, I think the good news is that we we don't feel like we had a huge snub this year um and, and as we kind of wrap this up and start thinking about some of the signings that have gone on. I want this to be the first and only nice thing I say to Scott and, and related to his team in this episode. Um, I probably would have ha- had uh, AJ Hinge top three manager of the year. I know it really doesn't matter. I know we don't view it too strongly. That being said, to take that roster and, and do what they did, and I've gotten in arguments about it. I'm like, sure, they didn't go above 500, but he took a really – bad roster and maximize their potential and their potential was probably only 77 games but he maximized it and that deserved um i in my mind at least a top three finish so yeah no i mean obviously preaching the choir um here but um that he yeah this was a roster that that was on pace to lose 95 or 98 last season uh, and obviously lost 114 games in, in 2019 and uh, did not have too many in, <laughs> too many signings and, and improvements from those rosters. It was, it was essentially the, uh, a very, very similar team sans the, the three pitchers coming up. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we had a chance, we still could have finished 500 with, uh, with, I want to say like eight, seven or eight games left. Um, and it had a yeah winning record for, for every single month, uh, except for April. Um, yeah, I mean, like the, the biggest thing for me was he did, and I know that this is, this has something to do with, um, what the front office allows a manager to control, but like no manager in baseball did more for as far as like the entire operations of the organization than AJ Hinch did for the Detroit Tigers. He, he came in, redid the entire MLB coaching staff, redid the coaching staff of every single team at every level of the minors hired and fired scouts. I, I mean, like this, this is our manager and he is, doing significantly more than our general manager on an operations day-to-day basis, uh, completely revamped the analytics department by himself. Um, like, I, I mean, nobody, and, and again, we're, we're talking about a team that didn't finish 500. So I get it. Like, I, this is not something that I'm like, Oh, it's ridiculous. If you didn't vote for him for manager mm-hmm. of the year, like that's, you know, ev- everybody has uh has a very legitimate gripe to to not vote him, but like not a single person, not a single coach, I would argue, in the entire sport did more on a day-to-day basis for the entire organization than Hinch did for the Tigers. And as a result, the Tigers are making some noise early in this offseason. Uh, as we start to shift to what has happened so far in the offseason – it's been a lot of picture signing. It started with Angel's great Andrew Heaney on his way to Los Angeles, the Dodgers, that is, this time, on a one-year, $8.5 million deal. Um, so he's going to pitch, like, uh, the front-of-the-line starter Christian always hoped he would become because that's what the Dodgers do. Um, the other three big signings, Eduardo Rodriguez followed shortly after that one with a five-year, $77 million contract with Detroit, shoring up that rotation a little bit with some veteran presence. Noah Syndergaard, a one-year, $21 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels, starting to really solidify that rotation. And then Justin Verlander, a two-year, $50 million deal. It's technically one year with an option um, at the age of 39 next year with the Houston Astros. I guess I, we can go in whatever order we want. I mean, Heaney went first, then Rodriguez, Syndergaard, and Verlander. Those are the big main ones. Some other smaller signings. Manny Pena, who was someone I wanted for the White Sox, goes to the Braves, two years, $8 million. Jose Quintana just signed with the Pirates today for $2 million. And Pedro Severino signed with the Brewers uh, as their newest backup catcher is the assumption there. But – I think the big thing really is the pitcher's market has moved decently quickly. It's rather expensive in totality. I mean, I mean, two of you here have big names who have signed with your teams and I guess speak to what the signing does for your team and and kind of how it has helped set the market, I guess. Christian, you can, uh, you're uh, chomping at the bit for Noah. I'll I'll allow the first one. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Um, so firstly, with Andrew Heaney, 
I've, we've been like, as an Angels like community, we've been saying he's gonna go to the fucking Dodgers for years now and be great. They're gonna they're gonna fix his pitch tunneling, there's pitch his curveball. It's he's gonna be amazing over there. Um, but with Noah Syndergaard, I was uh I wasn't worried. I was I was really happy waking up to that news. I've woken up to many great Angels news, thankfully. Uh, I was really happy about it. The high um the high AAV. Uh, it kind of concerned me at first with 21 million that Verlander signed the next day, and my my scaredness or my fear of that contract instantly dissipated because Verlander, yeah. 39, also missed the last two years from Tommy John. Uh, that made me feel so much better about myself. Uh, Noah Stendergaard is a really good start to this team. It's best pitcher we've had signed in quite some time. I mean, if you talk about multi-year contracts, not including Otani because that's kind of different. Um, the last multi-year contract we signed to an Angels pitcher was C.J. Wilson in 2012. The I've, I've graduated uh, middle school, high school, got my associates in kinesiology, and dropped out of college three times after that since we signed <laughs> a pitcher to a multi-year deal. It is it's the craziest thing to me. Um, so not being a uh, multi-year deal for Syndergaard was kind of upsetting, but like I understand on his part and on our part, we're taking a risk with him. Um I'm really excited about that contract. I know J-Roy wants to talk about that. He wasn't all that good or whatever. He hasn't been good in a while. He was, um, in 2015, 2016, 2017, he was better than Jacob DeGrom. Uh, that's a fact. 2018 DeGrom, you know, that's that's a whole different person. That That's a crazy guy. Uh, but still, even in uh, 2018, he had a 303 ERA, a 280 fifth, 280 X And you go to 2019, which a lot of people slander a lot. Yeah, he made 32 starts in 197 innings. Uh, he had a 428 ERA, and that's well above uh, league average, which was 456, and that was during the juiciest of juice ball times. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, he had a 128 ERA plus and a 428 ERA. That's good. He had a 360 FIP and a 380 expected FIP and a 390 Sierra, which is skill interactive ERA. All of those numbers are really good. Um, he came back this year. He was hitting 96 with the Mets. He wasn't throwing his curveball. They didn't want him to, so he didn't have the best outing. But he was hitting 96. Um, it's a really good start for this rotation. I expect him to do a lot more. If they don't break the luxury tax, I kind of think they're going to be a little mediocre this next coming season. Um, but Otani, Patrick Sandoval, and Noah Syndergaard is a really, really strong one, two, three for me right now. Really good start. I, uh, I, I guess, yeah, Erod now. Uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm thrilled. But, I mean, this is um, uh, uh, I, I think I'm I'm thrilled at uh, what it. This is like way too dramatic, but like I'm I, I'm thrilled for what it symbolizes more than like anything else. Like I, I'm yeah. I'm very excited that that this now means in my eyes that we're after half a decade of tearing down, like we're finally building up and that's, that's obviously an incredibly exciting. Um, and uh, Erod just on a, on a tunnel vision, kind of a, a viewpoint of it. I mean, this is a, a very, very solid deal in, in my eyes. I mean, this is a guy who uh, even though, whatever, like his, his highest ERA of his career, but also his lowest FIP of his career this year uh, has been a consistent 
like mid threes FIP, his in, like every single season, literally every year of his entire career, he's been between like three five and three eight FIP. Um, and then yeah, this year even with the highest ERA of his career, he has a, he has a three three FIP. Like I, I I I am thrilled for this, and and now you're you're taking a a dude who has put up those numbers, which which are. Uh, some people freak down like, oh, why is everyone freaking out? Like, this is some huge deal. Like, he, he's not an ace, whatever. We're not paying him to be an ace. You know, this is the, the AAV he, he got is not – this is not 25, 30 million AAV. You know what I mean? Like, we, we're paying him uh, – we're, we're paying him less than, than a QO. I mean, this is, this yeah. is a, a, such a, a good deal for, for, the, for the Tigers and an organization that outside of Miggy is paying no one. Uh, and, and I mean, even if we were paying people like this is, this is such a, a, a great deal. What is it? 16, 17 AAV. Yeah. Um, 15 and four. yeah, yeah. It's phenomenal. And, and you're taking a, a dude who has pitched in the AL East, which for ballpark sake and for competitiveness sake is significantly different than now going to the AL central, which is. <laughs> A joke in its current state. I, I mean, uh, straight up, a, a laughing stock of a division as far as the, the teams in it go. And then on top of that, you're putting it in the biggest ballpark in Major League Baseball. And and you know, like the home run numbers are going to go down a little bit. Um, I, I I am absolutely thrilled. This was this was fantastic news to wake up to uh, the day that it happened. I'm so pumped. We're going in now with a with a rotation of, of Erod, Mize, Manning, Scooble, Boyd in its current state. And then, I mean, the front office says that they're probably going to make another starting pitching move at some point. Um, and then, uh, again, like you're, you're adding Erod to a really young team that's already up and coming and took huge strides this year. Uh, and then in the middle of next season, you're going to add Green and Torkelson to the roster. I, I mean, it's it's really, really – we're a shortstop away, for real, from – from me being completely all in on the Tigers next season. Javier buys away from being completely all in. <laughs> all right. Everybody calm down. It, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a, it's a fine deal. Like it's a good deal. I think that the, this is a good move for the Tigers. Same way. I think that the center guard move is a good move for the angels. I was messing with uh, Christian and the other angels fans a bunch about it, but like center guards, a good pitcher. I think you, you take risks with someone like center guard. Mm-hmm. I think he could come back and be a really, really solid pitcher. Uh, he's got awesome stuff. He's uh, I, I I like Syndergaard a lot. I think he's a really good arm. Uh, Christian, you mentioned something about Verlander comparing that contract to Syndergaard. Do you think that Noah will be a better pitcher next year than JV is? Um, that's hard to say because like historically, Verlander is a much better pitcher and sure. Houston's better at developing pitchers than we are. But like, I would want to say yeah, he's a decade younger. He has a decade less innings in his arm, man. Uh, I, a part of it is dependent on if we get a, a good infield shortstop. I mean, we had negative 22 defensive runs saved Jose Iglesias out there last season. Uh, they've talked about moving David Fletcher over there, and I can see him putting up like six defensive runs saved, but I really wouldn't like that. Uh, there's also Brendan Davis in the minor leagues that could come up and supplement that. But I, I think um, I think it's going to be very similar. They're both going to be around like a 360 year rate. That would be uh, 130 innings is where I would have Syndergaard at max just because we have a six-man rotation and I'm an Angels fan. We get hurt all the damn time. So I expect at least one injury <laughs> since of 
elbow fatigue or shoulder fatigue of some sort because it's natural with uh, Tom John guys. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think I would um, if I had a bet on it, if I was a betting man, I would bet on uh, Syndergaard to have a better ERA than Justin Verlander next season. Mm. That's a fair bet. I, I I think age plays a big factor in that as well. I I think overall, what this market says is people don't really get. <clears throat> and maybe this is harsh. People don't really get how the market continues to evolve. Uh-huh. Like people are gonna look at fifteen four over the AAV of the Erod contract and for some reason be like, this is expensive, like $15 million per year for a pitcher. And it's like, that's, that's, that's what pitchers get nowadays. Yeah. Like, look yeah, at no, look where the QO is. Like you're, you're going to hover around that for a lot of these players. And the, the fact that a guy like Iglesias, even though he's going to turn it down, gets a QO at 18.4 says a lot about where some of the pitcher market starts to, Sid, you're willing to take that sort of risk. How, how much did Barrios get? Barrios um, got seven for yeah. There was one I failed to mention. Barrios' extension was seven for one thirty-one, um, which is that's like one thirty-one divided by seven is eighteen seven. Oh, which that makes, right yeah, that's a QO. Like if you're a decent to above average pitcher you're going to hover around the QO. You might take a little less to extend the life of your contract, but if you're if the qualifying offer starts as a benchmark of sorts and now you have the continuing continually evolving benchmarks, now the Barrios contract becomes a new benchmark for pitchers looking for extensions. A la Lucas Giolito, who's got the similar situation going on. Those types of pitchers, same tier in the market are going to be sitting well. This guy got 18-7, and where are you going to put me type thing? Rodriguez, 15-4 is a fantastic deal. And I think that Syndergaard, a one-year deal, is a high-risk, high-reward. High-risk for a one-year deal, which it's still low-risk, but it's just depends on what you do next. But it's still a fantastic deal that, more likely than not, he outplays the $21 million you're paying for him. So it's like, at, at the end of the day... This is where the market starts to evolve, at least on the pitching side, from where people are like, you know, a good free agent, like just a solid one, should get 15 to 18 million on both sides of the ball. And I think people are, are still not waking up to that fact. And I think maybe it's going to take some position player contracts to sign some mid-tier guys, not your Carlos Correa's, your Corey Seager, mm-hmm. stuff like them. Your mid-tier guys who are still really good ball players. And they're going to get that 15, 18 million range. You're going to be like, what in the world? That's where the market is. You're, you're going to have to learn that the game continues to evolve. I, but, I would have given Erod 20. I, 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 said it, I, I said it before we signed him. I would have given Erod 20 AAB in, in my sleep. I mean, the, and, and even to even him and his agent even agree that he was slightly underpaid because there's an opt out after two. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if he if he goes out there and balls out in in, in big ass Comerica against AL Central teams, and and re, you know take take his numbers take big steps forward because of that, he he'll opt out after two and and he'll go and and get some AAV in the twenties. I mean he, he took two less than the QO for a five year deal with an opt out after two. I I, I comfortably and and John Principe who write, is a Red Sox fan on on this site. I mean, he was talking about going as high as 
AAV for him. I mean, I mean, this is this is a a, a fantastic deal for Detroit, and and uh, you know we're not going to pay any of the three over half of our rotation is going to be on pre-arb for the next season and a half, and then on top of that, arb for the next three years after. Like this makes absolutely a, a boatload of sense for Detroit and and uh, and and for the market as a whole. I, I mean, I would even, you know, there are people saying, oh, he, he got overpaid. I, I would comfortably say he got he got underpaid what I was expecting him to get even. It's you're willing to take that bet on yourself. So it's kind of like you're saying, like, hey, it's that opt out after two that maybe I only make 15 for each of these first two years. But I'm going to be 31. I might be go back on the market at 31. And you're going to see eventually when this guy start to sign what 31 year olds get on the open market. I mean, what was it? Keiko was 32 just a few years ago and he got 18 million and a guy like Bumgarner signed the exact same time. He got a very similar deal and these deals have not worked out for either team, <laughs> but they're still going to be serving as the precedent for what comes next. I'm sure he sees that and it's like, Hey, I want to play for a team that's on the up and up. I'll take a little bit less to do so. And if I like it, I'll stay. If not, and I really hope I'll play it great. I'm out after two years. I'm only 31. Let's go sign a four-year deal somewhere else. I, I think I think it would be interesting if more players start to take those Eduardo Rodriguez and even Nick Castellanos type deals where after two years they say, hey, I'll take a little less on the front end, but I, I might be out after two years. You might not get all four or five years of me. Te- team yeah. that's on the up and up, we are talking about the Tigers, right? Listen, Phillies fan I- talking? I'm pretty worried about the Detroit Tigers in the AL Central. I'm not going to lie to you, Jay. Why would why is the Phillies fan speaking to me? I'm sorry you don't know what the up and up is because you're perpetually 500. But some other hey, team. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, you dude, know we're what? Re- we're, dude, we're rebuilding, rebuilding. You know what, Jay? We'll just give you Craig Kimbrell, and uh, <laughs> y- you can have fun with that contract. Dude, I'm just saying when when Correa is wearing the wearing the Phillies uniform, you're not going to be. You're yeah. gonna be you're gonna be like, you're gonna forget all about that that lunch that him and Hinch had, okay? And you're gonna be like, wow, what went wrong? Like, what went wrong here? Dombrowski, baby, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> what's it like living in your world? What's it What's it like to not have that dream of my team's gonna sign every free agent I want? <laughs> I don't what's know. What's that dream like? I don't know because it all collapses, you know. Then you, you yeah, it's just the guy with Bryce Harper on his team. He just signed hey, Wheeler. Exactly, and, exactly. Hey, like if we could sign Bryce, we can go out there and sign anyone, you know. Well, to have with Dombrowski at the helm, no one's out of reach. I can confirm that. The Chris Bryan Bryce Harper reunion still seems likely to me for some. Oh, I, yeah, I, th- I think we've got a. I think uh, KB could come to the Phillies for sure. I think that could happen. I thought Alec Bohm was the third baseman of the future over there. He's going he to have the worst qualified season in baseball. Huh? No way. No way. No way it was that bad. I, I swear in like July, he had the lowest war in like the entire league. It was, it was in the red a little bit. Sure. But like, oh, he was at like a minus one something war in like July. figured it out. No, we'll, we'll he he's gonna get he, we'll move him to the outfield and he'll figure things out there. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. He needs to. He need, yeah, I mean, he can't play third base. That's true though. He cannot. He cannot play third base. 
I've it was there. not it was not the worst season. He didn't qualify in terms of games played, but minus point two F war would have been top five. <laughs> Miguel Cabrera holds that honor. Um right, baby. <laughs> but I think oh, actually the top two were first baseman. That's interesting. Anywho. Positional um, adjustments. That's the only reason. If you put Miguel Cabrera at shortstop, he would be <laughs> one of the best players this year. Okay, now Ronald right don't realize. Happen, okay, that this Y'all is a, don't realize. a different comparison. We're talking it's about not, Egon. It's not though. We're talking about an athlete. A left-handed <laughs> athlete playing shortstop. I I want you to remember that's what you suggested. I did. I did. I stand right, by I'm it. I'm just I, as long as you stand by it. That's what I appreciate about you. You stand mm. by it. Um, let's, let, let's talk a little bit about the position player side of things, which is far less interesting. I think it's more, I, I'm not going to say it's more unsure, mostly because just because the lockout looming, I, I guess my question comes more so from the standpoint of who do you see signing in the next week and a half? Is, is there anybody? Even in the mid-tier range where you feel like, hey, I, I feel like he, he could take a deal and, and strike something before. Like, I guess who has the most to lose based on any uncertainty that follows a new CBA? Because guys like Correa and Seager are going to get paid no matter what the CBA says. Mm-hmm. There might be guys who lose a couple million here or there based on what it says. Um, or, or just I, how... I think Story will still get paid. I mean... Well, yeah, he's an example, but I'm like, basically, yeah. basically it's up to, I, I guess the question is, who could you see signing in the next week and a half, if anybody? Uh, well, Saya Suzuki is being posted tomorrow, and he'll yeah, be available the for the next nine days, and then his posting period will freeze after that. But I, I genuinely do think I, we see Saya Suzuki signed somewhere within the next nine days. Mm. Uh, he's a special talent. I mean, he debuted same age and same time as Otani did. Otani, uh, Otani wanted to win, so he <laughs> win. Uh, Otani wanted to uh, show his talents in the majors, and he took no money to come over here. Saya Suzuki wanted the money. He wanted to build upon himself, and he stayed over there, and now he's coming over here. I can see him signing. Uh, they projected him about four years, $10 million, which to me seemed a little light compared to like Masahiro Tanaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, um, I think he's going to be signing, and then uh, just the one-year make-it deals like Antleton Simmons, I could see signing very soon, and yeah. maybe Chris Taylor might be the most beneficial to sign in the next nine days or so. I, uh, I think one of the big five shortstops signs before um, the lockout, and I, I don't think it's like it won't be Correa. Um, I like it won't be story. I don't even think it'll be Seager, but I, I think one of Baez or Simeon signs before, um, to before December first. I, I I think that their markets are, um, a lot. They are more of market setters for the Correas and stories than while they're still not not market setters in the terms of like, oh, like these guys are mid-tier free agents by any stretch. Yeah. But um, though what those two get paid will determine what the other three get paid. Like there's a there's still a, a little bit of a gap in there. And uh, I I think I, I think there are teams out there. The teams that want Baez or Simeon 
don't want the other three because the other three are going to be more expensive. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that market is a lot more niche than the other three, whereas the other three could have yeah, as many as, what, 15 teams all, all knocking on the agent's door kind of a thing. So um, it, it would not surprise me if if a, if a Marcus, Simeon, or Javi buy it. Maybe not. Eh, maybe not Javi. I don't know. I, I, I feel like one of, one of the, the shortstops will sign before – December first, just to get out in front of it, and then the other four will wait until after once the market's set and one of the five dominoes drops, and then reevaluate from there. I'll just ask point blank: Do you think Korea eventually winds up in Detroit? Um, I'll say no. Uh, right. I'll, I'll I'll say no. I like obviously I I want him to more than anything in the world, but. Um, I, uh, I, I would say, I I would say probably not. It's just, for me, it's, it's just, it's been so long since we have spent any money that like, how how can I, how can I expect that? You know what I mean? Like, like, how can I, how can I possibly expect us to give $300 million to a dude when we haven't given anyone a two year deal period before Robbie Grossman last offseason, we haven't given anyone of any position a multi-year contract since I was in high school and I'm 23. Like that's like that that's absurd. So um I I yeah, I'll 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 say I'll say no, but not because I, I don't want it to happen or not because I don't think there's a chance because I do think mm-hmm. that that there is both of those things and, and we're very obviously in the market for them. But um I if 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 I had to bet like every single penny to my name, which is about like four dollars, I, I would say <laughs> I would I would probably say no and on today. Maybe that would change after a Scott Bentley lunch with Curtis Gray <laughs> instead of an AJ. A breakfast lunch. that turns into oh, excuse a me, a breakfast that turns into a lunch. <laughs> there you go. Let's get the terminology right. Like I said before, you're officially in the Manny Machado to the White Sox territory of, well, they called him at Sox Fest, and he came out with his new glove line that was black and silver. You're officially in that territory. See, but we have a good manager. You know, at at that time, LaRusso wasn't the manager. You can't use that one. So, but it's still true. You're going to call, what's his name good? Rick Renteria, a good manager? I have such a low bar for <laughs> touche. Honestly, that's I've got. I mean, I I've seen the past three managers have been Robin Ventura, Tony Larusa, and Rick Renneria. I what is I, good? <laughs> I had the same uh same manager from birth to nineteen years old, and then I had Brad Osmus for a little bit there, and that was uh certainly a ride and a half, and then. Joe Let Madden, like, yeah, we know all that about Osmus. Um, but I've actually enjoyed Joe Madden a lot more than I thought I would when we initially hired him. He's been better than what I expected. Yeah, I haven't really liked Girardi. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does have the tend- tendency to leave his starters out there. Yeah. You can absolutely say that. Making Nolan Wheeler look so bad, man. Nolan especially, man. <laughs> 
Noah's time, man. Noah got dragged. I, I remember. Bro, he he'd leave no. It was games. insane. He'd leave Noah mm-hmm. out there. It, like Noah could have 120 pitches and already given up four runs. He's like, you're getting the ninth, dog. <laughs> like going. what on earth? All, all, all his peripherals look really good after the season, yeah. and, then, and you would not have guessed it at all. Like he, he looked like he had a like a Dallas Keuchel type season. Like it was, it was rough. Who were who were you facing? Um, it was in the ninth inning. Aaron Nola was still out there. He had already I given up three runs. Exactly yeah, hundred. He had a hundred twenty-seven innings pitch, three runs, two people on. He gives up a walk-off home run. No one's even warming in the bullpen. They were that was really a month ago, ago right? Wasn't that game yeah. like a month ago? Yeah, no yeah, one. Yeah, it was later out. in the season. Like, yes, that was because doing? he had like a he had like a he had a shutout going into the ninth. I think it was something like he. I don't I don't remember what it was, but he was dealing. And then and then we lost the game somehow. Like, oh, I remember that. You know, you know what the the solution to this is, right? What trade for Craig Kimbrell? <laughs> that's that's how that's how I'm introducing the the final section as we start to wrap up here. We'll, Rodney we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about the free. We talked about the free agents a bit, and hopefully, we see a little bit more action. Um, before the lockout, because we're all going to be dying for baseball for a little bit. Um, but on the trade side, I guess, what's your team's biggest need that you feel can or should be addressed via trade? And if you have names, where should it come from? And Jay, I, mean, I already gave you the answer, Jay Roy. It's Craig Kimbrell from the White Sox. I, I you're welcome. <laughs> let me let me look up the old. Uh, old I'll uh, I'll I'll just get mine out of the way because I I don't think. I don't think we're in the market to trade anybody Mm -hmm. like we're we are a buying team that the only thing we have to offer is young prospects or like first year players who are supposed to be part of the plan for next season, Mm -hmm. like literally 2022, not even like two or three years down the road. So um, like we made our nice little trade and got Tucker Barnhart and like that's awesome. And I love the deal. Um, super pumped about it, but um, I I can't imagine a, a world where we are going to be trading um, anyone. This team outside of Miggy is is like our longest tenured Tiger got here in like 2018 outside of Miggy. So like I I we have no we have no veterans to trade, and, and we're not in the market for trading the the prospects. So I I don't expect us to make any more moves. Uh, for the Angels, I um, whenever the Gary Sanchez resurgence bandwagon debacle with Matt Olson was going on on Twitter, I, uh, <laughs> I love to make fun of him. He's a friend of mine. Uh, you know, it got insane when it crossed my timeline. So. Yeah, it, it, it was rapid. I uh, I made a spoof tweet of it about Taylor Walls of Tampa Bay. Uh, he's blocked by Wander Franco, Brandon Lau. And uh, he's a damn good defensive shortstop. I uh, I genuinely think that he could be in the interest of Anaheim. Uh, I made quite a few uh, tweets about him already. I really like him. And then going to the other Miami team, the Angels and the Marlins had a had a trade this deadline for Brandon Marsh and Max Meyer. And the Angels are the ones that backed out of it last second. I think they're gonna revamp those trade talks. Interesting. Uh, if not for Max Meyer, I I can absolutely see us being very interested in one of Pablo Lopez or is Sandy Alcantara, 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 Alcantara. Uh, I I see them being heavily interested in uh, one of those two pitchers. And, and you'd be good with giving up Marsh. 
Um, yeah, I, I flip-flop back and forth to Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. I love both of them, and I think both of them are going to prosper. Um, Marsh's defensive ceiling probably like gives him a lower or a higher floor than Adele, but I think Adele's bat is better. But I, I would probably be okay with Brandon Marsh and someone else to go uh, for Pablo Lopez, who's controlled for the next three years, and same yeah. with Sandy. Yeah, that control game, it's... It's such a big piece that when fans put together mock trades, just is completely thrown out the window by most fans. Like, three years of control, even two years of control is a lot for some of these guys. Like getting two years of value of a certain player is a lot, especially when you didn't sign or develop that player. Trading, I mean, like at the deadline every year, trading someone who has a year and a half of control versus half a year of yep. control means like literally the difference between top 100 prospects and not top 100 yep. prospects coming back your way. Like it is dramatically different. Yep. This this uh, this deadline had me in just shambles, really. There were so many high-tier prospects being traded for people on half a year um, – the Angels decided not to trade Rysel Iglesias or Alex Cobb, and uh, I was upset and happy about that, about them not trading them. But then you look back at it, and either of those two, they could have gotten such good players for the next couple of years, and it's uh, kind of upsetting. Because Rysel Iglesias, I can easily see going to uh, Philadelphia, sadly, and uh, he was damn, damn good. Yeah. J. Roy, you got any uh, fun trades you want to explore over there? You looking up? Uh, yeah, I I, th- I thought about Iglesias coming to the Phillies. That I mean, that's something that I would be very for. He was pretty good last year for the for the Angels, and uh, I they think that, sign him first. What, oh, yeah. yeah, okay, and and then uh, I don't. I uh, Kimbrel trade kind of. Int- I didn't realize Kimbrel struck out forty three percent of hitters last year. I did not. I did not realize that. Uh, you know, I think that so much of like what happens for the Phillies is like what happens with Didi. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is there. I think like he, I think like we kind of need to just like get rid of him because uh, he was not he was not good last year and uh, and he's just not a great defensive player. So I don't know. I would like to see them get a little bit more depth in the in the bullpen just because the bullpen was historically bad two years ago, was not very good this last year. I don't really know any specific names. I'm not really sure what, what's happening. I, I think right now the biggest thing is try to go out and get uh, get a big-name shortstop, whether it's Grayo, whether it's Story, uh, maybe try to sign Chris Bryant. Uh, if they did any of those things, I'd, I'd be happy. Interesting that you view shortstop um, more – I, I guess not really that you view shortstop as a bigger need, but I I, I do I think so. Yeah, I, I guess I, that's I, super interesting because then I thought I'm like, oh well, both Gregorius and Segura were just not. Yeah, no, Didi just Didi just doesn't need to be out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I one April he does. No, yeah, we yeah we could throw him out there for one month and. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I'm curious to see. I really am curious to see what happens um, over the next nine days, and then the two months probably mm-hmm. of nothing, yeah. and then the absolute panic that's going to happen come mid February, where 
everyone's going to sign and it's going to be fun. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll sign someone big. My prediction is story. I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think we'll get Correa. I don't, that might be, I don't know. We, we could, we could, we'll see. Story to Philadelphia makes a lot more sense than story to Texas, like Ken Rosenthal has been pushing for the last <laughs> four seasons. Oh, I, I, Texas I, is I, an think, I think story to Philly right makes a, a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Texas yeah. has like no reason to try to go for it at yeah. all right now. And every single year, Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, <laughs> John Morosi, they're pushing these guys to like narratives for signing Rendon or any of these top players, and it doesn't doesn't make any sense to me. They were 15 games worse than the Angels last season, and we had no one on the team healthy. 15 games worse as yeah. from the fourth place team. They're not close to competing at all. Yeah, they're that's a bad team. <laughs> they're bad. <It's> <laughs> like bad. like as as someone who who's seen a lot of bad baseball, the the Rangers are bad. The Rangers are uh, are bad. I I really do like story to Philly though. Um, my my biggest one has been bias to Miami. That's like the one I've been riding, like hanging my hat on since the beginning of free agency. I think that makes uh, a ton of sense for for mm. both sides. I like that move. I like that move. I'm curious to see what uh, I'm. I'm really curious to see what Correa ends up getting. I again, I'm just sitting here waiting for the inevitable Correa to Detroit and just whatever happens after that and. Meeting, how, blocking Scott Bentley and all that fun stuff. And <laughs> how how scared are you on a scale of one to ten for like genuinely for mm-hmm. the Tigers next season if they sign one of the one of the shortstops and like if if we if our only move the rest of the season is signing one of the five shortstops. How, on a scale of one to ten, how how scared are you for them next season from an outsider's perspective? Depending on which shortstop they get, and depending on the growth from Manning my school, I'm willing to go as high as like a seven or an eight. Sure, like because I could see, I and it, it it also really depends on what the White Sox decide to add to this team. Is is it going to be? you know, dumping Kimbrel's salary to some team and then signing a mid-tier second baseman and running it back in right field with what they've got. If that's the case, that that's not going to cut it, truthfully. I, I, I don't think that's enough to fill some of those holes. Um, I, I, I think it's an I, – I, I think it can get as high as like a seven or an eight, just depending on how the rest of the offseason goes. Because for sure, there's a ton of um, there's a ton of variance between signing Correa and signing Baez. For sure, and, oh, for sure. So it's like, in, in my opinion, though, like I said, it's that growth piece of Manning my Scoble that I mean, you saw it in flashes this year. It's there's gonna there's oh, gonna yeah. be some talent there for a very long time. Um, yeah, Tigers did it right. So, well, they did it right <laughs> from from signing AJ Hitcher. Now they've done everything. In right. theory, they've For put sure. all the pieces in place to do it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, they're in a in a prime opportunity to take a huge leap if if they uh, if they decide they want to pay money. I've been buying a lot of Little Caesars pizza to help the cause. I'm doing my part. <laughs> I, I'm doing I'm doing my part of uh, of helping the Illich the Illich family. By, by buying a lot of pizza lately. So that, that's my contribution. 
Um, so if they add Correa, like I, I can see them winning 85 games easily next season, uh, especially with how weak your guys' division is. And what are the White Sox going to do to supplement the loss of Carlos Rodon? Is Kopech just taking that over like straight up? or I don't think people are talking enough about that. Because even if Kopech takes over Rodon's innings, that's still only a – let's just say his max is like 140 for the season. If you factor in you want him to pitch in the playoffs as well, you're probably not going to give him more than 120 at the high end in the regular season, probably. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're saying 140, 150 for the season, is his max. That's a lot of innings that are just not being accounted for and a lot of innings that are also being accounted for by Dallas Keuchel. Now, in the AL Central, does it matter as much to get top of the division? I don't know. It depends on a lot of what the Tigers do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Indians or the Guardians always give – I'm going to make that mistake 75,000 times. <laughs> the the yeah. Guardians do enough to give the White Sox fits in the past. So that's something you need to keep in perspective. So it's about – you know, there are bodies there, sure, but the numbers don't line up. I, I think mm-hmm. they need to at least sign – Someone in the back end of the bullpen um, to kind of kind of shore things, or not the bullpen, the rotation to kind of shore things up because of the loss to the bullpen um, from Kopech moving to the rotation. Mm-hmm. But it, um, it's yeah. a valid comment that I, I think they're like, oh, we just got Kopech to. I was like, no, yeah, you, uh, that, that's not that simple. Yeah, it's it's really not that simple. I mean, um, Rodon only had 132 innings this season, which is kind of a shocker to me. I thought he had more, but it was also 132 innings of a 237 ERA, a 260 FIP, and a 317 mm-hmm. expected FIP. Those are insane numbers. And like, right. as much as as talented as Kopech is, he's not going to get a. He's not running that out for the first time being a starter since 2018. Mm-hmm. Like exactly, that's too high of expectations. And again, it comes down to. It's, it becomes a numbers game of everyone's got to perform like they did last year, which for Lynn and Giolito is probably expected. Cease is still a bit of a wild card until he can do it two mm-hmm. years in a row. Um, Kopech pitched great out of the bullpen. That's all we've got. Keuchel's going to pitch innings, and that's really about awesome. it. It's, it's, it's uh, like, do you see uh, Garrett Crochet getting innings as a starter this season? Or is he going to be in the bullpen? By by default, probably. I I think it's going to be a Kopech-ish situation where they're going to do two or three inning stints for a little bit. Um, I'd prefer they just send him down and get him stretched out, honestly. like I'd rather him be prepared to be a starter and then have to shorten Uh up if necessary. But if they're committed to the Kopech-type plan for him, I think that kind of helps the bullpen a little bit. But we'll see. It's it's a weird enough division to where to Scott's original question, like, yeah, it's weird enough to where anything can happen. Like, yeah, I, I'm pretty much not worried about Kansas City right now. Um, no, I'm really not worried about Minnesota right now. Um, just Minnes- because Minnesota, think, yeah, go ahead. I think they're gonna look at this and be like, eh, we should probably at least retool. Versus trying to go for it with what we've currently got. At least re- not a full rebuild, but take a year or so off and, and try and complete some things around the diamond. Um, but that leaves the Guardians, the Tigers, and the White Sox, and I think that's enough to make it interesting. 
Yeah, I wouldn't discount the Twins. I mean, this is a team they won a hundred games in nineteen. They were still right. really good in twenty twenty. Um, everyone was bad in twenty twenty one for them. Like, I don't expect Donaldson to be that bad. Uh, a lot of them is if they trade Byron Buxton, I'm not viewing them mm. as a problem in the slightest for anyone. But if they don't trade Byron Buxton, they could at least uh, be spoilers, like heavy spoilers. Because that's yep, still a team that can that. bang on some pitching staffs easily. I think yeah, that's I think a team so. that you don't. It, Kind of like the Guardians for the White Sox, the Twins just in general is a team you would not want to come to town, most likely. Now, if they mm-hmm. trade Buxton, it kind of already says what they're planning to do with their next couple seasons. It's push it down the road a little bit, call it a day. Um, mm-hmm. But still, that's enough. Though there's there's enough guys in that lineup to make you like, oh, these guys come to town. Like It's not a cakewalk, basically. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think the Central will be um... – I don't think the Central will will reach the lows of like the what year was that twenty eighteen or nineteen when we had like almost three hundred lost teams. Like I, I don't yeah. think I don't think the bottom will be as low as it's been in the past. I just don't think there will be uh, like a ton of teams over five hundred either. I think you're going to be looking at a, a division full of uh, like 75 to 85 win teams and it's just going to be a like a meh you know what i mean like i i don't think i don't think there there's uh there's going to be um that i don't think any of the teams in there are are set for next year to be like a you know 100 to 105 loss team but i i I mean, there's like one that's guaranteed to even go 500. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, mean? I, I think yeah. if you win 85 to 90, probably more so on the towards the 90 part, you're probably fine. Yeah. Like, it's oh, not going to yeah. take much to win a division. Yeah. So, absolutely. As we wrap up here, and if you've tuned in the entire time, we appreciate you listening. Our, our, our final thoughts, and Jay Roy's mentioned this, so I know he's pretty passionate about this, is kind of circling back to and making it a full circle on our discussion here any of your voting a conversation topic that's come up and i want to get you guys' thoughts real quick as we kind of close it all out a thought has been that because of some of the voting we've seen i'll uh salvi perez getting a second place vote for al mvp or some of the hometown guys starting to just give maybe a ninth or a 10th place vote to a team in or to the team that they cover doesn't really change the race, but puts a name on it. And for all intents and purposes, probably affects in terms of arbitration, how they get paid. Would you be for or against the idea that AL beat writers and members of the baseball writers association vote for the NL awards and NL writers vote for the AL awards? Jay Roy, we'll start with you. Yeah, I definitely think that should happen. I think that, uh, you know, if you think about it, these these uh, beat writers, these reporters, like they don't – they're not just fans. Like they know these guys on a personal level. You know, they uh, – they're these players are part of their livelihood, you know. It's it's easy to just like be more than just like biased, but just be like, hey, like I know Bryce Harper. Like, you know, like I'm, I like the guy. Like I'm going to vote for – you know, I just think it would make – simplify things so much if uh, – if NL beat writers were only allowed to vote for AL people and vice versa, I think we would see a lot more honest voting. I think we, uh, you know, we wouldn't have giants four giants writers giving Brandon Crawford a first place vote. Uh, 
we wouldn't have Jim Salisbury giving Juan Soto a seventh place vote, which I thought was so funny. I like I I love that so much. Like this guy was like, you know what? I'm winning this award for Bryce Harper if it's the last thing I do. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. The entire Phillies organization throughout this whole like award season have been so 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 good. They were pushing out so much pro Zach Wheeler, pro Bryce Harper stuff, and it was such a it was so refreshing to see. I loved it. Uh, I I think Salisbury giving a seventh place vote to Soto is just so comical, just so funny. Uh, but like, I mean, come on, like we don't we don't need that to happen. Like let's let's try to have some integrity in these in these awards and these votings, and because uh because we want these awards to mean something. I you know I do I certainly want them to mean something, and so uh yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, like, in t- like pretty much entirely with that. Um, it, it's egregious that someone could vote Juan Soto second. <laughs> have no, no real justification for it. Um, same with the, the two Giants writers and then two other people. I think both are Padres writers. They, Padres, voted for, yeah. uh, they voted for Brandon Crawford, and that was just mind-boggling. I mean, among all NL players, he led in zero stats. Zero. Among all Giants players with... Um, with 400 plate appearances, he led in slugging percentage and in F war by 0.1. Um, Buster Posey was a better giant than he was, more deserving giant. And the reasonings they gave was, oh, he was the best player on the best team. He deserves to be MVP. And it's just such a flawed, asinine way of thinking that needs to go. And a part of that would be by having AL cover the NL voting and vice versa. Yeah, uh, all it took for me was was – Crawford getting whatever three or four first place votes for for me to be on board with that and and uh, and and it just I mean it, it makes sense like looking looking back uh, on even past MVP races like just giving giving so much power to a, a team that you get a press box suite for like in vote you know what I mean like. Like these are dudes who, who who are have been at their their respective stadiums for for the teams they they write for all year and and, and get press boxes and like J Roy said know these dudes and are in the clubhouse every day and are going to dinner with these dudes like it's it's wild to me that it's even taken this long for for that to be like brought up as a possible solution and I, I mean it's crazy to me that that this hasn't been like talked about, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, we've had plenty of debates in the past, but, but seriously considered before this, I, um, I, I, it makes all the sense in the world. And, and yeah, all, all it took for me was, was Crawford getting, getting four first place votes. Maybe like, all right, I'm, I'm bought it. Now, this is this, that, that can't happen, man. Like, like with all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> I just, for me, it's like, what raised it for me a couple years ago was James Fagan, who's a really phenomenal beat writer for the White Sox, covers at the Athletic, phenomenal uh, beat writer. Through Moncada, Moncada, 10th place vote, I think it was 2019, where he had a great year. Like, it, it was a phenomenal season. I, there were articles written about the fact that a hometown guy gave Moncada a 10th place vote. And it's like, all right, is it maybe warranted? Probably not. But at the end of the day, is it worth it? But now you're seeing more. Is it worth the discussion? Basically, But now you're seeing more and more people doing it. And now you're seeing it go as high as 
Crawford getting first place vote, Salvi Perez getting a second place vote over Vlad. It's like those sorts of things. Now it's becoming a little bit more than just a 10th place vote here and there where it doesn't really matter too much. It's now becoming more like a second place vote or four first place votes. It's clear. And it's no fault of the writers. Like it's like Jay Roy said, it's their livelihood. It, they get attached to these guys. It's just a clear ab- example of observer, observer bias mm. where you've seen something so much, you tend to think it's better. Yeah, the, his explanation was was ex- one of the Giants writers, I should say. One of their ex- explanations for uh, for voting Crawford was the most on-brand thing you, you would ever see for a beat writer that just – Voted for Brandon Crawford for MVP. He was like, I, no, no player meant more in the clubhouse. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like, yeah, yeah that I, I could have, you could have just read me that quote. I'm like, all right. One of the Giants writers definitely just voted Brandon Crawford for first place right. for MVP. I wouldn't even need to see the voting. Like, that would just make sense. And, and again, like, like you said, Laz, like, it's, it's no, it's no direct fault to the writers to have that. But, like, obviously this dude's been in the clubhouse every day. He sees Brandon Crawford being a leader and then leading the team in F4. And, you know, best player, best team, and clubhouse leader. There you go. That that yeah. there, there's, there it is. So, there's yeah, like, that's that's, that's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and I think uh, I think switching, um, switching leagues, you're, you're still giving everyone a voice. You're not taking away their – their their votes or anything you're you're literally just changing who they who they vote for and i i think that that's a very good way to to fix the problem it's requiring a little bit more objectivity right and and you can still get the quotes yeah you can still get the quotes about how important guys are to the clubhouse word obviously carries you read each other's work like that's not going to change but it it, it takes a little bit of a step back from it um but I, i i think the biggest thing here too that i don't think we mentioned al mvp NL MVP, none of the top three were on teams that made the playoffs. And I think that's important because it's starting to, it's again starting to show that shift, which becomes the next conversation of can we see that same shift in who is actually giving the votes? Which, by the way, just really quickly, it, can we, Talk about the the as J Roy would say the tomfoolery <laughs> of of somebody saying that Vlad deserved MVP I knew someone was because he was on a better team. You're talking about a team that also missed the playoffs. playoffs. That is that like that they is they were in the it a little point. bit longer. The most asinine. Uh, like already, it's ridiculous that people are like, oh, like this dude was a, a slightly worse player, but he was he was on a team that made it to the ALCS or whatever, so he deserved. Like that's already a a stupid ass argument. Now we're starting to do it with two teams that missed the postseason. <laughs> now it's getting Which even one worse. Lasted longer. <laughs> we're, we're yeah, we're we're doing it on a team that 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 what finished finished fourth. Fourth? Yeah, and it's we division? were both fourth place teams. Yeah. We <laughs> All right. What are we talking about? What are, what are we, we doing? doing? 
So they ridiculous. Had the, they had the runner-up MVP, the third-place MVP, and the Cy Young, and they missed the playoffs. But Otani's the one at fault because he couldn't yes. uh, lead the fucking Angels without Mike Trout or Anthony Rendell. <laughs> With Rindell. their whole team on the IL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were people on Twitter saying that they were not going to vote for Bryce for MVP because of the three-game series against the Braves with a week left in the season that, that kind of decided the NL East race. Like, there are people that are like, no he, dog, had, he, he struck out six times in this series. When it mattered most, he melted. Like, I'm not voting for this guy. I was like, dude, did you not watch the first 138 games he played? Like, one last comment I want to make about uh, the, the voters thing with uh, Andrew Baggerly of San Francisco um, calling Brandon Crawford the clubhouse leader is just so hysterical to me because <laughs> A, Buster Posey existed, and B, the entire <laughs> second half of that damn season, every single person was calling Brandon Belt the captain. Like that is oh yeah, he had the speech taped on his they jersey. Have, like yes, Brandon Belt was the leader, the clubhouse leader, not Brandon Crawford. So the entire arguments, like every step of it, had made no sense to me. No reasoning, no justification was close to okay. I I think you're truthfully, you're probably never going to see those go go away. But at the same time, it's still nice to see the shift in the logic for some of the voting. Um, I think that is incredibly important. But I didn't know we were going to go this long, but honestly, we had a lot to talk about. So for all of you who tuned in, first of all, thank you once again. Um, obviously, during the offseason, there's not as much content, but there's always plenty on Diamond Digest. We've been doing our season in review slash offseason outlooks. Our writers are very busy with a lot of good stuff, so please make sure you tune in. Diamond-Digest.com is the website. At Diamond underscore Digest is the Twitter handle uh, where Marcus Stroman seems to love some of the tweets we've been putting out recently. And Diamond.Digest is the Instagram handle. Make sure to check us out everywhere um, because we will be continuing to bring you as much content as we can, especially in these coming months where it'll be very difficult to find that content. But for scott bentley who has departed us if you're watching live he said his wi-fi went out oh there we go but for scott bentley j roy jonathan roy and christian lloyd this is jordan Lazowski signing off take care everyone enjoy your week and we'll talk to you when we talk to you hopefully we got some baseball to talk about soon so take care christmas special of twib we'll see what we get Maybe. <laughs> take care everyone